Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I say the future is in the past, so it's just going to go out there. There we are. Bonnie D. in the house. What an interesting topic, and have I got a panel for you. Let me do some. Before I introduce my special guest, guess I want you to wave hello to everybody on LinkedIn and wave hello on Facebook. We are live streaming, and you can virtually wave hello to the audience at the business channel at Voice America Radio, and a shout-out to my engineer, Gabe, for getting us on the air. So let's see what my monologue is today. Let's look ahead to 2030. Now, full, let's see, description, we are now on May 4th. Oh, my goodness, almost five months into 2022. Who thought we would get this far? I'm glad we're all here. Yes, and John is waving his shop, is shaking his head. Yes, we're glad to be here, the five of us. And a shout-out to Sophia Mastropolo behind the background. She is listening and watching, and she helped me put together this topic and half of our panel. We appreciate it. So looking ahead to 2030, it's only, what, seven and a half years away? How will we work? How will we get around? How will we eat? How will we dress? Oh my. How safe will our privacy be? What's privacy, you're asking me? Will we all be space travelers? What new and old challenges will we face? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today, our cyber future in 2030. So I have a couple of buzz quotes. You know, I always start with those. I found a website. I don't know who they are, but it's called unboxingstartups.com. Interesting. And they have something called the seven emerging technologies that will revolutionize the world by 2030. Coincidence, that's the topic today. Just let me give you a couple of these. According to the database company Statista, 2,028 AI companies in 2018 were working in the U.S. They project that by 9,000, there'll be 9,000 of them by the end of 2030. Do the math. That's from 2,000 to 9,000. That's a lot. The growth rate of self-driving cars may reach up to 20 to 30% by 2030. Guess who's developing cars with encrypted software systems? No surprise. Tesla, Toyota, Google, and BMW. I'm driving a Beamer. How about that? And according to Oxford Economics, up to 20 million manufacturing jobs around the world, uh uh-oh, could be replaced by robots by 2030. And one more, American clothing brand Tommy Hilfiger developed clothing embedded with smart Bluetooth chips, we all want smart clothes, that link you to a mobile app in a game and you can earn reward points by visiting certain places. And we maybe all be taking space elevators instead of real elevators by 2030. That's what I'm going to end my buzz with because I can't wait to have you listen to the predictions from my guests. Wave when I call your name, Rick Ferguson at Trend Micro. Hello, Rick. He's also a musician. I'm going to have to get you on one of my shows on the future of music, Rick. We'll have to talk about that. We have Colin Dunn at Fend Incorporated. There's Colin waving hello to our live viewing audience. John Clay, also a Trend Micro. Hello, John. Nice to hear yeah, on the phone there. And we have Mike Schroeder at Three Territory Solutions. And I'm going to ask them for their take on our cyber future in 2030. Will the living be easy? I promise never to sing on my shows, but Rick, I can't help myself sometimes. It just, <laughs> Rick, you got a guitar you want to play? Summertime. Uh, right now, uh, I'm th- they're all here. Uh, 
I well, need to we, lean we a should, bit more. But. We should have rehearsed summertime and the living is easy. We're going to change it to 2030 and the living. Will it be easy? So let's go around the table and get some formal or informal introductions. I think we're going to be pretty informal. And I have to do a quick shout out also to my good friend, Don Deloach. Don brought me Colin, correct? Mm -hmm. And Colin introduced us to Mike. So there you go. Now we have the full creditation of all the background of how we got everybody together. Interesting. This show's been in the works for months and I'm so happy it's here. Rick Ferguson, you're up first. Rick, I'm putting you on full screen camera view. Would you please introduce yourself to my audience around the world? Tell us what you do. What's your why? quick take? Don't give away all your predictions, but what's your passion for the topic? Rick, welcome. Why, why would you do that to everyone around the world? Put me on full screen. I mean, seriously, there I are better things that people to. can do with their time. than, than I look just at this. have to. No, no. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so, yes, my name is Rick Ferguson. I'm the vice president of security research at Trend Micro. Um, a, a big part of my remit at Trend Micro is to look towards the future, is to try and anticipate what the world of tomorrow will look like so we can come up with uh, solutions today for the kinds of criminal opportunities that will present themselves as a result of technological change, societal change, uh, international, intergovernmental change. And God knows we've seen a lot of that over the past couple of years, right? The black swan events. I mean, it's not really a black swan anymore. It's more of a black flock of swans, if that's the, the correct collective noun. I don't know. Um, but we did a fantastic piece of work back in 2013, which seems like another century now, called Project 2020 um, in, um, in collaboration with Europol, the European uh, Confederation of Law Enforcement um, Organizations. And um, we, when we got to 2020, we did a, a retrospective and a review to see, okay, how much did we get right? What did we get wrong? Where were we well off base? Um, and we came out surprisingly well. I mean, we were on target with a lot of things. There were a couple of misses, uh, but nothing really significant. Um, I think the only thing where we kind of really went, Oh my word, uh, we, we weren't expecting that, it was the failure of, of AR. We we're expecting it to play a much bigger role than it does today, but I think that's still coming. Um, but as a result of that review, we then embarked on another project, coincidentally called Project 2030, uh, where we did the same thing again. We revisited our academic methodology, learned the lessons from uh, 2020, reapplied it. Uh, and actually, when we were planning the project was pre-pandemic. When we started doing the research and putting it all together, we were mid-pandemic. So definitely the a lot of the changes that we've seen throughout the course of the, the global pandemic and uh, maybe not so much the conflict that we're seeing the war in Ukraine right now, because that that post-dates our research, but the, the pandemic stuff definitely played a role in some of the predictions. So we've looked at how will society change over the coming decade? Uh, what will the implications be for us individually, interpersonally? What will the uh, ramifications of change be on? Uh, we actually chose a manufacturing organization in the report and also uh, nation states and their relations with each other. The point of that being to um, to draw out the the relationships and um, the interconnectedness of these different predictions to work out where points of acceleration might be, where potential blockages or accelerants might be, um, and to work out what the criminal opportunities could be that arise out of these technological changes. So we weren't looking at change for the sake of change. What we wanted to to find out was. What will the attacker, the adversary, the threat actor of the future be doing as a result of these technological changes? And how can we build solutions and systems to protect us as individuals, as society, as nations 
into that future. Uh, and that's where my passion for today's subject comes from. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. And I have one quick question for you, Rick, without giving away everything. Will the living be easy, easier in 2030? Yeah. Yes or no? Just a yes or no. That's all I want. Yes. You. Just, yes. Okay, good. Yes, I like I'll it. be good. retired. Good. <laughs> That's not always so much easier. Okay. I'm, Are you I'm asking sorry. me? I'm asking you. Let's go to yeah. Colin Dunn. Colin, you're next. Colin, please introduce yourself. Who are you? What's your passion for the topic? And why are you here? Colin, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. I'm Colin Dunn, founder and CEO of FEND. And you know, I'm, I'm here and passionate about this topic because I got my start as an engineer helping design building automation systems and the systems that really help make modern life possible. We're talking about utilities, we're talking about water treatment plants. And I'm passionate about this topic because 2030 is gonna look in some ways like it does today and it has, which is we have these city managers, we have people in charge of power plants and renewable fields, and they're stuck in the middle of some, like they have brand new technology that's coming out now and there's demands on managing this equipment more efficiently and using the cloud. And then they have stuff that's 60, 70, 80 years old sometimes at water treatment plants. And they're really in the middle of trying to find a solution to manage this sustainably, efficiently, resiliently. And that challenge is gonna be even more complex in 2030. And so, you know, I started the company a few years ago to help make that a little bit easier to sort of say, hey, we have equipment that is decades old. We need to meet it where it is, but we can't just leave it alone. We gotta bring it into the cloud. The workforce is changing. We need to have each human that's operating on these things know where they're supposed to be. And that's where the future really helps to prioritize that person's day and makes the best use of that human operator. But there's a, there's a very long transition. It's gonna take another hundred years, I think, before we're done using the infrastructure we have today. We've gotta to make good use of what we've got. Wow, a hundred years. Well, that, that's, the, that's the end of our topic here. I don't know anybody who's gonna be around. I had a guest on one of my, I've been doing radio business roundtable. Gentlemen, I just wanna tell you, I have over 50 radio series I've developed and produced in the past 11 years. And I had a guest on one of my shows about eight years ago and I, I used to ask them for a prediction. And just one prediction, this wasn't this particular show. And one guest said, I'm predicting 50 years ahead. And I said, why would you predict out that far? John, wait for this. John, John's going to be the first one to laugh. And he said, because nobody on this panel will be around to tell me I was wrong. <laughs> thought, oh, my God. So I, I thank you, John. I, John. John's my laugh track person here. Thank you very much, Don Clay. So thank you very much, Colin. Same question I asked Mr. Ferguson. Rick, will we be living easier in 2030? Just a yes or no. No. Oh, okay. All right. We've got a one. Okay. This is going to be interesting. We're going to work on this during the show. Now let's go to our third guest, Mr. John Clay. I've been tapping you for my laugh track. Thank you. Great smile. John, welcome. Please introduce yourself. What's your passion and why are you here today? Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I'm Vice President of Threat uh, Intelligence at Trend Micro. Uh, I started my career in technology 35 years ago uh, after an uh, electrical engineering degree from the Michigan State University, go Spartans. And, uh, but I've been at Trend Micro now for 25 years, which is a little unique for a lot of people in technology who tend to, to move around and, and swap jobs quite a bit. I've done a lot of different things. Why I'm passionate, I think, is, is you know, I've been following, obviously, the technology trends over the over these 35 years and seeing what you know what has helped and what has not helped and how the criminals are taking advantage of it um, one of the 
beautiful things about Trend Micro is we have an opportunity to look at both commercial side and consumer. We have consumers all over the world that we're protecting around uh, and commercial customers around the world. So we see these different things that are happening, different trends that are happening. Uh, one of our passions is our Internet Safety for Kids and Family program where we've been teaching and educating both parents, teachers and children all over the world on how to become good digital citizens. And, you know, our talk today, we're going to be talking about what's going to happen in the future and kids today will be our future. So we're very passionate about how we can get help them, how we can improve their lives using technology, but using it in a right way. Uh, so that's that's kind of where we're at. I'm looking forward to the, the talk today. We've got a great panel. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and uh, we'll let's get going. You are very kind. Thank you. And I'm glad you brought up the concept of kids. I used to host a TV show in New York called Senior Moments, The Happy Ones. And my mom started as my co-host when she was 83. Our last show out of over 200 shows was about a month before she passed away at 100. This woman lived alone played the piano, bridge and mahjong, had her hair done every week, dressed up like a Hollywood star every day, had a lot of friends. And I used to say in the intro to our show, John, people say the children are our future. I say the seniors are our future because they know so much. They've seen, imagine at 100, imagine what she's seen. Mike, in terms of technology and the wars and the changes in population and climate, and, and, and she and her friends were not part of the watch your sugar, no saturated fats, and get rid of the red meat generation. These women live to over 100. She and all of her friends, I don't know what was in the water, but <laughs> I, I grew up with her, and I, you know, I, I think I had some of that water, but I'm not even close to that anyway. So I love the fact that you're mentioning the, the children, because you're right, digital being digital citizens is so important, but we also have the danger of seniors getting into technology and using it badly. The scammers, the spammers, getting you to buy stuff you didn't know and getting you to give away your information and the, the wanting to not be a Luddite and be part of our world, but not having the, the barriers or the boundaries to know what to do. And I think for kids, it's the same way. I'm popular. Look at me. I've got a million followers. I'm on <laughs> Facebook. Well, really? Seriously? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know, you know who's watching you? And anyway, I, I like both ends of that age spectrum. John, you brought up a great point. Thank you very much. Will the living be easier or not? John Clay, yes or no? Yes. Oh, we've got two yes and one no. Mike Schroeder, this is not a fair and balanced show, so you don't have to say no. That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> so, Mike Schroeder, would you please introduce yourself? You know the drill by now. Go ahead, Mike. Welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. Uh, Mike Schroeder, I run our operational technology security group. Um, so it's, uh, some people ask what that is. It's basically anything but commuter computers and like commodity IT. So we're talking about airport runway lighting, perimeter security systems, building control systems, laboratory type stuff, uh, manufacturing, things like that. Um, and my passion for this, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of split between who I am as a person and then also what I do as a job. So my job, because this stuff is old. I mean, you, how many times have you been to a jetway bridge and you look and it's clearly from 1964. Like they have not changed anything. So we have to be mindful of the future because we need to know what we got to bake in now, anticipating what the problems could be five, seven, 10, 20, 30 years from the future. Um, so that makes it interesting. Uh, you know, that's really where that drive comes from. But personally, it's just raw curiosity. 
Like, I love the example when we were talking about, you know, our, our more life tenure generation versus the kids. I mean, you talk about somebody around a hundred years old, my God, the things that they've seen, like, what would that be? 1920s? I mean, we're talking about the, the cool little margarita glasses or things with the hats. And I mean, I, I don't know anything about the twenties, as you can tell. <laughs> Uh, I'm just glad we don't have to say knots and aughts anymore. I'm really glad we're into back to, to decade marks because the knots and aughts always confused me. Um, so following those technologies and seeing what those trends are, I really like to see what's going to develop and what my kids are going to see and what I'm going to get to see. Like, are we going to be on Mars in my lifetime? How cool would that be? to see like a human walking on the surface of Mars and then, you know, planting a garden and making some, growing some tomatoes on Mars. Like just thinking about what that potential is, is so incredible to me. Well, you introduced the word curiosity and that's so important. I think for all of us, Rick, your, your, your research is driven by curiosity. What if, right? What, what do we know? What can we think about? What can we plan? But Mike, you have to answer the question, please. No prejudice either way. Will the living be easier overall in 2030? Yes or no? No. Okay, there you go. The but I really want to... I really want to unpack it though. I know I have to wait, but I wait, really want you, to. You wait, you'll oh, get it into one of your predictions and I thank you. I wanted to mention, I didn't read in my intro, there was something about space elevators, I think. And the, uh, here we go. Researchers in Japan in 2018, which is four years ago, announced an experiment in space elevators at the International Space Station. Imagine pushing the up button of an elevator and taking a ride into the heavens. It could open up space for the average person. Is anybody here average? Is anybody here consider themselves average. And if I said normal, I don't think any, I don't think we want to be. So I'm not sure how that applies, but I think they meant the everyday person. Okay. You're a person every day. I think that's the best we can do there. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Great introductions. Let's go around the table. I have opening quotes from each of you. These are fun from movies, from TV shows, from songs. And we're going to start off with Rick Ferguson. You are quoting a line from Motley Crue, the song Primal Scream, 1991. Heavy metal band Motley Crue released as a single on their album, The Decade of Decadence, 81 to 91, their first greatest hits compilation it reached number 63 on the billboard hot 100 and let's see nikki six said the song about arthur jankov's 1970 book the primal screen primal therapy a cure for neurosis and his childhood that's what it was about here's the quote if you want to live life on your own terms you've got to be willing to crash and burn oh rick ferguson be still my heart how'd you find this and what does this have to do with our topic rick you're up <laughs> Molly Crew has always been. I mean, I, I was I'm, I was a teenager throughout the '80s. You know, that was that, that was my teenage decade. So Molly Crew was one of the one of the early rock bands I was into right at the beginning of that decade. Uh, Motley Crue and Iron Maiden were probably my, my two first heavy rock loves. Um, but that that lyric always. Uh, I mean, Nikki is an underrated lyricist anyway. People kind of focus on the image of Motley Crue without actually focusing in on the. The, the lyrical content of the songs. He's, he's massively underrated in that respect. And that particular one has always resonated with me because of the inherent truth of it. If you, if you really do want to fulfill your own potential, then you have to do that on your own terms. You can't have someone dictating to you how you will fulfill your own potential. That, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, a paradox that that's, you won't fulfill it if someone's telling you how to do it. But by the same token, if you are taking full responsibility for your own actions and choices and your own life, 
then you have to absolutely recognize that from time to time, hopefully less, less often than more often, um, you will crash and burn. And you've got to be ready to deal with that. You've got to be ready to deal with the consequences of that for yourself and for other people. And most importantly, to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get back on with it. It's not the only song about primal screen therapy. There's a very famous one by Tears for Fears called Shout, which is dealing with exactly the same kind of concept of getting, dealing with the bad stuff by letting it go. Um, and that's what resonates with me. And the reason why it, it, for me, works with this topic is that, you know, we do have to take responsibility now for the world that we're building tomorrow. It is it's the choices that we make today that impact the world that our children and our grandchildren will live in and how secure or insecure, how wealthy or poor that world will be. So we have to be cognizant of that and take responsibility every single day for the choices that we make. Thank you. And Rick, unknowingly, you just previewed my closing call to action at the end of the show. I won't quite give it away, but you paraphrased everything I'm going to say, and I think you'll enjoy it. And I'm going to have you all raise your finger and go, no, no, no. And you know what? That will be at the end of the show. Let's not, you don't need to practice yet. I think you can all do it. Thank you very much. Thoughtful phrase from the song. I appreciate it. Colin Dunn, we are gone from Motley Crue to a series inspired by Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The series is Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, featuring the four-year-old Daniel Tiger, who was the son of the original program's Daniel Striped Tiger. Every day, Daniel puts on a red sweater, ties his shoes, and invites a new generation of preschoolers into the neighborhood of make-believe. And here is the, there's a song, and let me just read the line that Colin has selected. Keep trying you'll get better. And here's the full thing. When you can't do something new, keep trying and trying till it works for you. Before you know it, I think you'll find practice makes you better all the time. Try, 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 try again. Keep trying. You'll get better. Colin, I didn't sing it, but I hope you'll forgive the reading. Was that okay? Great. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Go ahead. How'd you pick this for our topic today? Go ahead, Colin. Well, you know, related to the 80s, my the, my mom described that as her Burton Ernie years. So she had no idea what was happening in television or music, just knew it was on Sesame Street. Um, and I'm in those years now, except it's my Daniel Tiger years. So I have no idea what's happening in movies or music or anything like that, because all I consume is PBS Kids and similar programming. <laughs> but the... Uh, the, the quote there relates to the topic of your your cyber future, uh, and the key part of it is is you in that topic. And you know, the, in, we we're going to talk a lot today about the cyber, about the technology. But like when it comes down to it, is how do you as a human interact with this changing technology? And it is a, just a constant pressure to stay on top of the technology. And am I going to skip this generation of social media because I'm already locked into that? And what am I going to do then? And just know that like. It comes down to like, let's use these technologies to make your life better and you can be in control. But it takes, man, it just sucks you back in. Everything online, you know, you just keep trying and you can learn how to manage your online life better and just make it work for you. That is the challenge. And just sidebar, I bought a, I'm an artist and I'm working with a digital musician. I was telling Rick, who's in France, a colleague, and uh, I'm putting together Ken Burns affect motion videos of my paintings 20 at a time over his music track. And he's putting our videos on spatial.io, which is one of the few virtual reality sites that you can actually enjoy without a VR headset. But I went ahead and bought a Quest 2. We won't do any advertisements there. And I'm trying to figure out 
do I really need to have a VR headset? I get headaches, I get nauseous, I'm not a gamer. Why do I need this expensive <coughs> toy sitting on my desk, bless you? So I'm in the process of deciding, do I really need it? So to your point, Colin, how do we manage our cyber life? How do we manage the technology in our life? What do we need, right, John? What do we need? What do we want? What do we want to explore? Do I really need to be moving paper airplanes across a desk and floating a blimp into a big pink and red cyber canopy over me with my finger inserted into a little ball and pick up a virtual ping pong racket? Is that how I want to spend my days? I don't Anyway, I know, John, I know that was the Quest 2 tutorial. It was interesting, but that's not exactly where I want my future to go. So we'll see about that. But really good points raised. Thank you very much, Colin. And let's go to John Clay. Speaking of you, John has picked a quote from Newman, played by Wayne Knight. Anybody in the world hasn't seen Seinfeld, shame on you. This is from Seinfeld season five. John was impressed with my research. The Lip Reader originally debuted October 28th, 1993. If you do the math, we're now in 2022 plus seven, that's 20, almost 30, 30 years ago, John. Oh my goodness. Seinfeld, American TV sitcom created by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. Newman is a recurring character in the antagonist on Seinfeld portrayed by Wayne Knight. And his he is Jerry's arch nemesis and Kramer's friend. TV Guide included Newman in their list of the 60 nastiest villains. Can you imagine him being a villain? He's just a, a guy who's just an antagonist. Rolling Stone in 2016 ranked him number 16 of the 40 greatest TV villains of all time. And Jerry refers to Newman as pure evil and his sworn testimony. And there's a, I have a quote I won't read about. They said, would you do a spinoff about Newman? And he said, nah, people don't want to hear that. Okay, so here's the quote. You remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. I didn't do a really good Wayne Knight impersonation there. Go ahead, John. You can do it for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bonnie. It's uh, Newman was ahead of his time, and because <laughs> he realized that if you can control the mail, you can control information, and people rely on information. And think about now: we we work with email. We work with social media channels that are providing us news and information. We saw recently in some elections, a lot of misinformation, disinformation campaigns happening. So, and, and there's a big controversy right now with Elon Musk buying Twitter. So who controls Twitter may be controlling information to people, right? So, so I, I picked that because I thought it was very um, future looking uh, back, like you said, 30 years ago, he, was, he made the phrase and it's come true. So uh, it's a, and it'll be a good good thing to unpack today. Thank you very very much. Appreciate that. And Mike Schroeder, let's go to your quote. And I'm scrolling down here. Here we are in my notes. This is a quote from Dale Doback, played by the very talented actor John C. Riley. The movie he did with Will Ferrell, Ferrell, however you want to call him, is Step Brothers, 2008 American comedy film. Uh, it was released after Sony Pictures did Talladega Nights and The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Yes, the, Talladega Nights, The Ra Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, John C. Rowley, American actor. Uh, he did so many things. I remember him from, uh, what did he do? Chicago. He was marvelous in Chicago. And it's about two families get together. It's a marriage and these both boys have to become stepbrothers and they don't really like each other in the beginning. So here's the quote. I'm Dale, but you have to call me Dragon. Oh, Mike, please explain what in the world does this have to do with our topic? I can't wait. Mike Schroeder. So I picked it out of that movie because I just love the movie. I think it's great. And how it relates to the topic, though, is it's kind of simple. 
it's that Dale is introduced. So this is this occurs during the title sequence. So it's Brennan and Dale. You know, they did some opening intro type stuff, but you're like maybe four or five, six movies minutes into the movie. And they approach each other and they're standing real far apart. They don't like each other. And Brennan, who is played by Will Ferrell, says, hey, you know, I'm Brennan. He's like extending that olive branch. He's thinking about like, oh, hey, I've got to meet this guy. But then Dale says, well, I'm Dale, but you got to call me Dragon. And it's about how that judgment is passed. They've never spoken to each other. They know nothing about one another. But then Dale is like, no, you can't just call me by my name. You have to call me this silly name that I just made up on the spot. And what I like about that is how it relates to our life and how it can relate to technology in the future and how we interact with each other and, and things of that nature. Um, that once you do start to get to know somebody or just give them a chance, it might turn out that they're a delight and that the two of you are pe two peas in a pod or an idea that you thought was controversial or you could never have anything to do with, just a little bit of time spent, you can understand that. And the movie ends or one of the final kind of the, um, um, climax of the movie, if you will, is at the Catalina wine mixer. And when Will Ferrell gets up on stage, Dale's up there struggling <clears> to play <throat> the drums and control this, this rowdy crowd. And Will comes up, he's like, you know, I got you, Dragon. Basically, he's, he's acknowledging that, hey, we're, we're good friends. And we have gotten past that, that initial, who are you? I'm going to put a wall up immediately, and I'm going to learn this. And it, it ties to technology because it's easy to do. It's easy to see something new and say, nope, I'm done with this. I hate it. It's the worst. But just give it a try. There you go. Yes, just call me Dragon. I like that. Thank you for the summary of the movie. I have to go back and watch it. I think I've seen it. Will Ferrell is always an interesting, I'll call him a creature to watch in the he movies. He certainly is. He is. He's his own thing. He's, he's his own. He just jumps off the screen. So thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate the quotes. I love that we had Motley Crue and Step Brothers and, and Daniel's Neighborhood, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. I, I, I have to tell full disclaimer to my audience, to my listeners and viewers, we don't get together and plan this in advance. Colin and Mike and John and Rick each pick their own quotes and they pick their own predictions. This is not a table read, as you will, if you will. It's not where we said, okay, I have 16 predictions. Let's assign four to each of you. And here are my four favorite quotes. Let's each give, give one to each of you. This is done independently, which makes it to me beautiful that we come together and we share such interesting, diver di diversive set of opinions and preferences. So there we go. Now it's time for our predictions as if we haven't been doing that all along. Rick Ferguson, and by the way, everybody, I put one into the chat for you and Mike, yours just went up for you. There we go. So you know where we're going first. Rick Ferguson, prediction number one, take about three minutes to unpack this, Rick. And here's what we're going to do. This is not a formal roundtable in terms of everybody critiquing each other's, but if you want to comment on Rick's prediction, Colin, Mike, and John, just wiggle one of your polite fingers at me and I'll see you on the screen. The, the nice finger, okay? One of them, there's a couple of them. And then I will call on you. Otherwise, we're just going to barrel through one from each of you and then John, Mike like that. And then we will go to a second round of predictions and let's see how many we can cover. Two to three minutes each will be fine. So here's what Rick said. Wearable monitors will analyze blood, sweat, lacrimal fluids, and more. And healthcare providers will automatically send a prediction with instructions to be filled via 3D drug printer. Wow, Rick, talk to us. It's, I mean, like any uh, prediction, it's grounded in the reality of today. If you look at uh, the rise of what became called, I think even a decade ago, the rise of what became called the quantified self, where we all began to obsess over, I, I suppose it started with how many steps a day we were taking, but it pretty soon, you know, 
blossomed, mushroomed, bloomed, choose the verb you want, depending on your point of view from there. Um, and there are plenty of services out there now, uh, subscription services involving different kinds of hardware, some of them very traditional for doing things like blood analysis. Um, there, there was a company called Thriver, and they'll literally send you a, a package to your home where you stick a needle in your finger, take a blood sample, send it off, and you can subscribe to any one of a, a whole rack of different tests to, to test your uh, your blood. There's no reason why that has to stay in its traditional form factor. Um, there are already in development patches that you will literally stick on your skin on an ongoing basis that will analyze your sweat. We know already through medical science that sweat analysis can provide early markers and indicators of something going wrong inside that's a lot less apparent. Uh, the same is true of lacrimal fluids, tears. Um, you know, think of a, a contact lens It's in constant contact with your lacrimal fluid anyway, build some technology into that lens that isn't within your field of vision. You don't see it. It carries on doing its job. And maybe you get the advantage of these incredible early warnings. When I think about how, how medicine looks today uh, and contrast that with the, the speed of evolution of medical technology, and this is without even taking into account the rise, for example, of nanotechnology. So mm -hmm. not just wearable monitors, but technology within your body that just goes around doing its job, maybe not just diagnosing, but but actually acting on you and cleaning up inside you and being highly targeted. I mean, it's wearable and more, if you like. Uh, it seems unavoidable that, that we will reach this, this stage. My, you know, there's an example from my life right now. I've literally just gone through the process of applying for a mortgage. And because I am, let's say, no longer young, um a part of that it's all relative that, darling oh man the uh, over let's say the over 50 crowd have a, have a different uh a different uh view on how to get a mortgage so i have we to do. have a, a whole health check on uh like to, to get the life insurance that goes along with the mortgage so for the first time i had to go i had to sit on a exercise bike with a bunch of electrodes all over me while they monitored how my heart was beating if it's beating properly ultrasound scans of my heart my liver my kidney my spleen my gallbladder my intestines i mean everything great that i could walk out of there and say wow someone's looked inside me and i'm not dying that's really good news um <laughs> but that's about the extent of what we get today it's it's opportunistic it's maybe not invasive, but it, it, it's high effort uh, and you only get to do it every once in a blue moon, which clearly isn't enough. One of the reasons why I replied in the positive to your initial question, will the living be easier, yes. is exactly because of technologies like this. We will be able to quantify not only what we're doing uh, and, and, and how we're changing through our collection of selfies, but we'll be able to quantify what's happening inside of us and get these really early warnings of potential negative things going wrong and follow up on them. So you, your, your, your health self will be quantified, will be sent to medical practitioners who will be able to uh, assess and, and correlate and mine all of that data to, to then uh, prescribe interventions or uh, prescriptions, uh, which in the future could easily be sent to your home 3D drug printer or to a 3D drug printer in a facility near you or whatever it may be. Obviously, there are massive security implications around that. If we have the capability to synthesize drugs locally, of course, there will be an opportunity for, for abuse of that. And of course, it will be targeted. And that's part of the reason for those kinds of, uh, of predictions. But that's, that's the in a nutshell. It's not just wearable. Another thing, one of the things we dropped in the predictions just uh, almost as a throwaway, almost as a joke, was uh, of smart toilets. 
Um, so imagine the scenario, right? You have a, 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 I don't know. So maybe you have to travel for this. Toilets in different countries look different. Does that shut up, Ferguson? You, you do, oh, no one else oh, yeah. can see you. She was doing this to me. That's like no, shut up, Ferguson. No, we need, we need to wrap up so I can get to some of the other predictions. I'd Let's love talk to about toilets you. later. Toilets are great, though. Talk to toilet later. That'll be fine. But we all have a, a, a huge question for you, Rick, and I'm going to leave yes. the question here. And the question is, what country do you live in where they make you get on a, on a heart monitor and an exercise bike in order to get a mortgage? I have to know. John, so I right? live in... I live in Poland and obviously they take the, the fun out of life insurance by making sure that you're not going to die before they offer you insurance. Wow. Well, I'm in North <laughs> Carolina and they wouldn't dare. So I'm just going to say they wouldn't dare. Thank you. I, I just want to stop you right there and say, what? I've never heard of that. That That's scary. The, the good and the bad part of that. Thank you very much. Colin, I'm looking at prediction number two. We're going to get into the dark side here. You say a set of knee jerk reactions to increasing cyber attacks will lead to the hoarding of physical assets like gold and new, in quotes, business offerings like in-person-only banking. Colin, three minutes. Talk to me. Yeah, and it doesn't, I don't mean to be all doom and gloom, but I, you know, okay. I think that it's uh, just seems like this, this is part of, part of my part of my prediction about living being not easier. I think there's a big part of the population where it will be easier, but I think there's going to be a big divide where we have sort of a digital divide now. I think there's going to be even more benefits to folks that can afford or can mentally keep up with what the cyber environment will be in 2030. But there's gonna be a lot of other folks that either feel left behind, and this can be any age group, but folks that might have suffered from a identity theft, and it's just gonna be this constant, constant battle where you just try to stack on technology to help protect you, and there's multi-factor authentication today, and by 2030, that it'll just be Every transaction you have, there'll be some AI trying to figure out, is this you? And it's gonna be almost impossible to know if something online is real, especially who I am and who my bank is and how I'm interacting with them. And so I think that there's gonna be some folks that are like, listen, I gotta hold on to something tangible. I have to, like, I don't wanna do online banking anymore. If I had to walk down you know, to the bank and go get some money, instead of like spending three hours a week doing two-factor authentication or whatever, it's, it's gonna be such a hassle that there's gonna be these business opportunities for people to cash in on people just being tired of it. And that's where, you know, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna sound kind of funny, but I think in 2030 years, people are gonna be advertising services like in-person banking because it'll be more convenient than online banking when it comes down to it. And that's not just, you know, it's not just gonna be banking, it's gonna be all sorts of different services that today are increasingly digital. But in the end, the delivery of it, I think there's going to be that much more on the human element involved. Thank you. And I wonder where are people going to be hoarding their gold? Will it be in a, not a pillowcase? Will it be in the trunk of a self-driving car? Will it be in a bunker under, I shouldn't even say that word today, <laughs> under their house? Where are they going to put the gold? Will it be virtual or real? Colin, just briefly. So I think some will just, some are going to want the bags of gold coins and they're going to hide it in their drywall. And, you know, that's, it's a different audience than the crypto audience. And like, you can get your crypto stolen. Like, I don't know why you'd put your money into that. Um, it's, yeah. so it's, I think there's gonna be, again, people are all in on digitize me 100% and there's gonna be other folks that are just, I need some of this to be on the human side. And I think that's also related to just sort of how we're going to prioritize our time. Um, and just like, when, when are we gonna say, this part of my life is online and this part of it is actually in reality. And there's gonna be some folks that want as much as they can get on the reality side. 
you want you want to touch the gold, right? You want to sniff it. You want to run your hands through it. You want to feel. I was thinking of gold bricks, but the coins make a lot more sense. Let me move on here. John Clay, prediction number two. New forms of identifying humans will need to be developed to combat credential and identity theft. Oh, my goodness. John, unpack, please. Yeah, you know, Colin mentioned it, is that identity theft is a, is a big issue. Um, if you think about uh, Americans, our identity basically is our social security number, which if you don't think your social security number is already on the deep uh, dark web, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Um, but the other challenge that you're going to see is, you know, we're shifting now to biometrics, right? Your, your facial recognition on your iPhone comes up or you do your thumb uh, print. Well, technology of cameras, we're all using cameras here. I can, you know, put my thumb up here and somebody take a picture or my iris is, you know, is, is there and I put it on a, a picture online. Somebody can steal that so they can they can they can fake my thumbprint. They can. It's actually my thumbprint. So uh, that's going to be a challenge. So we're going to have to think about ways to identify <laughs> humans moving forward, because, again, if you think about your um, all of your applications and, and, and software we're using, it's all based on a, an, an account, and that account is your identity. Uh, today, a lot of it, it's an email and a password, but again, it could be a biometric. That's all because of the way the technology is gone, it's going to be obsolete and it's not going to work in the future. So at some point, we're going to have to figure that out. Now, Colin talked about physical, right? So obviously, if I'm interacting face-to-face -face with somebody physically, I, it's probably a good idea. I probably know, I'm going to know that person. But digitally, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, to deal with in the future. So, uh, but again, I'm, I'm optimistic that somebody will figure this out. There'll be jump technology that comes around that probably will figure it out. Uh, AI, quantum computing, whatever it might be, may be able to help with this, uh, uh, this challenge that we're going to see. Thank you. And we've all seen the movies where you see somebody, a hand or a finger because they need the thumbprint or the palm print or an eyeball, right? To get into some, I know, I know, Mike, it's pretty gross, but we've all seen that. So what is he doing? Oh my God, he's trying to get into the vault. He's trying to get into the back room there to change the system. We all know that. Yeah, let's hope not. Mike Schroeder, thank you, John. Mike Schroeder, I'm looking at prediction number three. I changed the prediction we were gonna do for you, but I think this will be a fun one. You say most forms of social media will be discussed with a smirk. Can everybody smirk for me just for a second? Can you all? Come on, let's, yeah, Rick, you got it. You got it, we nailed it here. Maybe some uncomfortable laughter. Everybody do uncomfortable <laughs> I know, I know, I didn't rehearse this. And fond memories about why we thought it would have been a good idea. Mike, talk to me, this was interesting, go ahead. Yeah, so this one was kind of fun to put together because it's, um, you know, I think every generation or every movement of people kind of have a thing that they can look back on. You know, you had the invention of electricity and then you got cars and then you have um, telephones and televisions and, you know, social media, internet. Then we roll into like the social media thing. And I was back in school when Facebook, you still had to have a .edu account. And it was, you know, those early machinations of it were definitely something very different than what it is, what social media is today. For good, for bad, whatever it is, that's that's not really where I'm getting with that. What it comes down to is in 2030, when we look back on this and all of the things that have come from the, as Colin had said, the different generations of social media, some of them, I think we're just going to put our hands in our head and just be a facepalm, just be like, what? 
who thought that the idea of TikTok challenges where people are licking ice cream in stores and eating Tide Pods and climbing on things, like, why did we think that was a good idea? And how, yeah, uh, so there. So, you know, and how does that tie to like the future of technology and cybersecurity and stuff like that? You know, I think it's going to get replaced with something new. Um, is it going to be a new generation of social media? Is it going to be a new way that we interact with one another? You know, um, uh, what was John said earlier about augmented reality, or forgive me, maybe Rick said it. Um, you know, when you look back on that, that's something that kind of could be cool. But why did it never take off? Uh, and what's, you know, what could happen? Maybe it has that resurgence, that virtual reality, and we're, we're mixing ourselves into these metaverse-like things. You know, are we going to get a digital copy of ourselves and put ourselves into a so, essentially social media and then interact with people around the world just in a, I don't know, with a headset on in the comfort of your basement? So that's what I think is really interesting about that subject. Thank you very much. And I've come to think of social media like Facebook as just a feel-good bulletin board where you're expected to be nice to your friends and say, beautiful family, great cat. Uh, congratulations on the new car. Wow, look at your vacation. And I'm so thrilled that you have 14 relatives sitting without masks around a table in a crowded restaurant all enjoying nachos together. I'm jealous I don't have that many relatives. So I've, I've come to think of it as a place where I'm expected to go and give a thumbs up, a like, or a heart to tell people how wonderful they are. So I don't do it much anymore because I'm tired of that. They know if I'm their friend or not. Give me a break. Let's go to round two. Let's see if we can squeeze these in. We've got 10 minutes left to the end of the show. Let's do 90 seconds each. I'm sorry to limit you, but we want to get these in. Rick Ferguson, digital humans, versions of us that act as proxies for us while we are alive and go on living after we're gone will become commonplace. I don't know whether to be scared or happy about that. I don't know if people want me to go on. Anyway, never mind. Rick, go ahead. Minute and a half. What do you think? It, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's one of those things yeah. that you kind of go, wow, and then you go, eh, and you, you're not <laughs> quite sure what to think about it. Uh, in in Project 2030, we called them infinimes. Um, when you're When you're alive, you can maybe use them as digital proxy, going and carrying out boring, repetitive admin, paying a parking fine type actions on your behalf in the metaverse, off they go, being you, looking like you, speaking like you, acting under your instruction. But when you're dead, there is no reason why the, the digital version of you can't go on living without you. Imagine that during your lifetime, it analyzes all of your online activity, your conversations with other people, the messages you exchange, the telephone calls you have, the, the FaceTimes that you have. Um, maybe you treat it as a, as, a, as a diary once a day, once a week, whatever you sit and have a conversation with yourself about what's happened to you that week, how it made you feel. Uh, maybe it's a kind of personal therapy, but it learns all about who you are and how you are throughout your lifetime. So when you die, you also get to, to keep on living. I mean, we as a, as a race have been in pursuit of immortality since time immemorial. Arguably, it's why we have the concept of God right now, because it allows us to to tell ourselves that we're not going to die. Um, and, and this will give us a, a digital means of having that, that peace of mind. But what will happen is that these digital humans increasingly will have agency. They will be, be able to engage in antisocial or perhaps even criminal behavior. They will be able to be taken over and abused and misused by others, for example. So we will be faced with the prospect of grieving relatives seeking legal remedies to ensure that loved ones are not switched off or maybe even to ensure that they are and the metaverse is really just the first step down that alley but it's it's a it, we're going there 
Will I be able to do radio shows after I'm gone? I don't know. I think that would be fun. Colin, There's no reason ahead. why not. Well, thank you very much. Then you're all invited back for part two, but I want to do it while I'm still alive. And no, Colin, you wanted to comment. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, not knowing what happens after you're gone, but I think, Rick, you're absolutely right about sort of outsourcing all of these social media and online functions to some AI, because you talk about the drudgery of online banking, but there's a drudgery of liking posts and like looking for spicy memes. It's like, you don't actually get enjoyment out of this. This is like gamification of some task, but there's no actual output. And if you can just have all of that stuff that just is actually just work on your day and you say, oh, the virtual me is going to take care of my online uh, my online relationships, I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to play a game with my kids. I'm going to go like play with a pet, like whatever it is. I totally, I think that's coming by 2030. That's really cool. Thank Thank you for turning that one around. Colin, let's do your quickly prediction number three. We've got six minutes left. Colin says used car prices will spike, <gasps> not because of a chip shortage, but for cars too old to have internet connectivity because the new ones have been hacked and are no longer drivable. You want to unpack that? I can only give you 60 seconds. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, I'd say if you've got something that's, you know, pre-2010 or something today that just, especially manual transmission, um, they're harder to steal because nobody knows how to drive them. But, you know, like not just, you know, for a lot of reasons and the enjoyment of driving, but I just think there's not, there's going to be this whole bunch of cars that are hacked and you can't get into them. We've seen people not be able to get into their Teslas and whether it was a glitch or a hack, they just couldn't get in. And people are going to say, I need to get around. And they're going to not want to put up with all these things, but I'll borrow a quote from a friend of mine, Jerry Kennedy, who said in the, the insurance industry, they're not going to know what to do with a car that's been hacked. It's been totaled. How do you know that you've gotten all the virus out that you've gotten all the ransomware out of your, out of your car? Somebody's not going to be able, they're going to be on Carfax, but like, this car has been hacked. You're not going to be able to sell it. And so the ability to actually have transportation that works and doesn't rely on something like that, those, you know, hold, hold on to that old Ford Focus or whatever you got. It's going to be worth more by 2030. Thank you very much. Let's go quickly to John. Prediction number four, you say the metaverse will unlock a new way of experiencing music and art that is more tangible and engaging. Six, uh, 90 seconds. Go ahead, John. Uh, well, I think obviously as, as technology evolves and, and with the metaverse, I think you're going to definitely see um, music, movies, whatever it might be, will evolve as well. Uh, you know, today you've got digital music being created. They just, you know, they just put a lot of uh, Beethoven stuff into digital and, and you can listen to that. So I think that'll be one of the good things that happen uh, in the future is, is you'll be able to socialize or work with with music or with other other stuff very easily um it, it'll just make life a little bit better i think for people thank you very much and i'm currently creating uh, i'll call the motion videos of my paintings i've been painting for the past couple of years i've got over 200 pieces i run out of wall space i need a bigger house but rick i don't know if i can get a mortgage for a bigger house just to put art on the wall the garage is an art gallery but i have a, a friend um serge hoffman who works at sap but he's a self-trained digital musician composer and he sends me his tracks and i select a piece of a track three minutes and i put my artwork over it in a movie timeline and then add the ken burns effect so i'm using his music to complement my art and i don't know if anybody else i'm sure a lot of people are doing it and we're doing it in a virtual reality setting on spatial.io for people to enjoy it so that idea of digital music and enjoying it is just it's it's 
interesting. And I, I'm a drummer and I have bands. And so the idea of digital composition is a whole new world. Let's wrap up with Mike Schroeder. This is interesting. A four-word quote, prediction, four-word prediction. Whoever heard of a prediction with only four words in it, Mike? So I can give you 90 seconds for this and then we're just about done. And the prediction is blockchain will be sentient. Describe and unpack and define it. Mike Schroeder, you're up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've been talking about the metaverse and this this translation from our physical self to this digital self that potentially could live on after life and all of these things. And I think there's been a theme amongst all four of us and just the general, this is going to happen at some point. So blockchain will be sentient. Why the hell not? I mean, that's really what it comes down to is we have these technologies and I think that's going to be the next evolution. If we're moving from an organic being to a digital being, we move into these things like these tech, these digital technologies, just like blockchain, something is going to come of that. You know, when you're in that metaverse, Colin was talking about being able to offload your mundane tasks. Well, if I'm Colin's digital self and I'm sentient, I'm going to be like, wait a minute, why is this guy get to have all the fun? And I get to do all the pay the parking tickets. This is ridiculous. So that's why I think you're going to see something like, it might not be blockchain, but it will be something like that. The AI will become fully sentient and it will, uh, meaning it knows it exists, basically. It's aware of itself. It knows it can live. It can knows it can die. Those kind of things. Thank you very much. We have time for one pop question around the table. It's the question I asked each of you at the opening 2030. Will the living be easier? based on what we've all shared here today. You can stick with your original answer. Yes or no, and one sentence why. Real fast. Rick Ferguson, go. Uh, yes, because living always gets easier. Just look back through time. It always gets easier. Okay, interesting. Colin Dunn? It'll get easier for those that choose to embrace these technologies, whether they're medical advances and nanobots and have the funds to pay for it. But for those that, that get left behind, it's going to be worse than just a whole bunch of online just a monotony that just you'll be online all the time getting nothing done okay there's the danger john clay what do you think yes or no and why it'll get better technology is changing all the time moore's law is constantly working uh it will get bigger or smaller cheaper for everybody to take advantage of and and life will be much better like that mike schroeder yes or no and why uh, I'm going to stick with no. And it's okay. not, it's the usage of the word easy. If you would have said better, I would have said, yes, life will be better, but I don't think it'll be easy. Similar ideas to Colin. There's just going to be so much going on to figure out that people, if you can keep up, awesome. If you can't, like, what is, what are all of these things? You're just going to go, I don't know. And maybe you get taken advantage of, or maybe it like makes your life better, but you don't really know. Thank you all. And my answer is it will be more exciting if you're willing to embrace the opportunities that new technologies will bring us. If you keep your childlike curiosity, regardless of where you live, Rick, and what you're doing to get a mortgage, I just can't believe that. I'm not moving there anytime soon. I got to get a mortgage soon. Um, if you keep your curiosity and your interest in learning and growing new things, right, John? I think we, to me, it's about keeping the brain active, keeping involved and engaged, whether it's from your home studio, whether it's it's in a community where you're talking to people and in socializing in person, it's keeping curious. That to me is where, where the, the future is, is keeping curious no matter who you are and where you are and being able to afford it in one way or another. And I think there are a lot of workarounds. I am so 
privilege to have met the four of you. Rick Ferguson, you're a force of nature. Keep playing. We got to get you on a show about music. Colin Dunn, absolutely wonderful. Keep being you. John Clay, wonderful. Thanks for laughing at all my jokes. Mike Schroeder, I was able to understand your predictions. And I, I said to Mike, you got to unpack this. I don't know what this means. A shout out to Sophia Mastropolo for introducing me to at least two of you and to Don Deloach for introducing me to one plus one of you. I appreciate that. And a shout out to my engineer, Gabe, and also Aaron Keller, who used to be my engineer. He was 26 when he started three years ago, and now he's 53, and he's just about running the station. So there you go. I have my, here's my quick homework assignment before we go. We're almost out of time. Everybody, get your finger up and on the canvas where you're going to go, no, no, no. The question is, everybody says the future is already here, and our answer is one, two, three. No, no, come on, yell it out. No, no, no. Come on, guys, say it. No, 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 no. no. There you go. Because that was yesterday's future, and today's future isn't here yet, and we are going to all do our best to make it better. Bonnie D signing off. Guys, don't go away. We want to talk for a second afterwards. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.